Welcome to the St. Matt's 6pm podcast, where you can listen to sermons from our evening service. I'll be reading the passage for tonight, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through to 6. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, We commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Good evening, everybody. Good to see you all this evening. I'm going to pray and then we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 1 to 6, which Annie read for us. Heavenly Father, you know where everybody in this building is at tonight. You know their needs. So I pray, Heavenly Father, that by your spirit you might apply the word of God as it's explained tonight to them. May it be a help to everybody, for we ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Australians want people to be fair dinkum. They're not impressed by show ponies. It is important for us that people are authentic, that they are genuine. The passage that I'll speak from tonight is a passage that speaks about a genuine message and genuine behaviour. And it actually gives us a measuring stick for our ministry. Every person who is a member of a congregation, whether they realise it or not, exercises a ministry. The word ministry actually just means serving or helping. So, we're all helping people. We all help one another. You're here at church and in other places as well. And if you think about it, we are always doing something for someone. You set up the microphone and the lectern for me. You're helping. You may not even think about these things as you do your ministry. This might be because the word ministry is often used in people who are paid to do church work. And so you might not think of yourself as being a minister. 
But to put it in ordinary practical terms, we might just say, well, I'm helping out or I'm giving a hand or I'm volunteering. Some ministries have a higher profile, a more upfront ministry. But if we're a people with a faith and a trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, whatever context you're in, whether it be a social context with your families or at work or at study, we are helping people. As you well know by now, Paul had his critics at Corinth. The church at Corinth was nothing like St Matthew's where nobody ever complains about anything. Well, nobody ever complains to me. Maybe that's because I'm six foot eight tall and 18 stone and that I would, they know I would bop them on the head if they did complain. But you know from other sermons of some of the difficulties that Paul was going through. There were lots of complaints. But what kept Paul going? What should keep us going when people don't appreciate our efforts? Or when we find it difficult to witness to our family? Or at work? Or at uni? Or when you put in an effort and an extra effort and nobody gives you thanks? Or you turn up week after week after week and do the same thing and people seem to have just taken you for granted. What keeps you going? The passage that I want to look at this evening I hope will be an encouragement to you as you care for people, as you help. Verse 1 of chapter 4 tells us that Paul did not lose heart. He did not stop doing his duty. That's another translation of of that little phrase where he says, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart or we do not stop doing our duty. Why? Why do we persevere? Before we look at those six verses, I want to look at two verses from chapter 3. Paul says in chapter 3 and verse 9, if the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? Paul describes the ministry that he is involved in and that the congregation is involved in as glorious. Now, I just wonder, I think we do do lots of things that are not particularly glorious. The person who sets up the machine so we can have a printout so we can remember who we are, it doesn't sound particularly a glorious ministry. The person who gives someone a cup of tea, and I'll come back to that later in the sermon, it doesn't necessarily sound particularly glorious. So why is it glorious? It is glorious because of the outcome of the ministry. What happens in the ministry? 
It says this, how much more, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? What Paul is saying is that people are now right with God. They were once not right with God and bound for hell. And because someone told them about the Lord Jesus Christ, they came to a faith in him. They became right with God and they were destined for heaven. Now, how much more glorious can a ministry be? It can't be, can it? Isn't that the most wonderful thing? That people will have eternal life and live forever and ever in heaven. We don't know how long we'll be on this earth. I took part in a grief session during the week for a young man. He was 18. He died in his sleep. I took part in a funeral during the week. The lady was 101. You don't know how long you'll be here. But we do know how long we will be in heaven for. Eternity. Forever. And so that is why Paul describes the ministry as glorious. Now whose ministry is it? We could say, oh well that belongs to the professionals. That belongs to Paul. That belongs to the paid people. No. Look with me at verse 18 of chapter 3 and it says this, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. So we are reminded here that each one of us exercises some sort of ministry. And Paul then says, that this ministry comes through the mercy of God. It is by God's mercy we came to a faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, which is not through yourself, but by the grace of God, says Ephesians chapter 2. And now Paul says, knowing that, knowing God's mercy, we mercifully are always able to minister to one another, as he says in verse 1. Therefore, since through God's, God's mercy we have this ministry, when we feel like complaining or saying, I don't need this or why do I have to put up with this, we need to remind ourselves from verse 1 that by the mercy of God we are able to do what we do. I wonder if you've ever thought about it that way. You may be exercising a ministry because someone came to you and said, we need someone to do, or I think you would be good at, or people recognised that you had a skill in a particular area. Or it might have simply because you thought you could do it and you saw a gap and thought, well, nobody's doing that. I could do that. And so you exercise some ministry to some person. But what should the ministry look like? 
As I said at the very beginning, Australians like people to be genuine. And I want to spend the rest of the sermon looking at verse 2 and looking at what genuine caring is all about. Truth and integrity have taken a battering in recent times. Before false truth came into vogue, some years ago an Australian politician was asked if he would tell lies to make sure that his party was re-elected. And he replied, I would do whatever it takes. Well, we mustn't do whatever it takes to share the truths about Jesus with people, but when we get the opportunity, we must do as Paul writes in verse 2, not distort the word of God. Now, the background to that phrase nor do we distort the word of God, is to do with winemaking in the first century. In the ancient world, it was common to... I always get my merge wicks somewhere along the line. To dilute. You know what I'm getting at, don't you? To water down. To water down the wine with water. Okay. And Paul says that we mustn't do that with the word of God. How easy is it for us to not stand for the truth? You see, we want to be liked. We want to get on with people. We don't want to be ostracised. We don't want to break relationships. And it's a bit of a barbecue stopper if, you, if someone says, ah, well, everybody goes to heaven. Or, oh, it doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you believe and you're sincere, you'll go to heaven. And then if you say, no, it's only by trusting in the Lord Jesus it can cause some dissension, can't it, and difficulty. When I was a very new rector, my wife and I, in, our, in the first parish I was in, my wife and I were invited by a parishioner to lunch. The other, the other person invited was the parishioner's next-door neighbour, who she had obviously been trying to minister to. The lunch was going nicely. And then this lady started to talk about heaven. Why she started, I have no idea, but she did. And she was the sort of lady that tended to go on and 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 on. And she kept saying, well, good people go to heaven. And God's a good God, so everybody will go to heaven. I listened and I listened and I listened and I thought, what do I do here? If I say something, this lady will be offended and it might damage the relationship between my congregational member 
and her neighbour. But on she went, and in the end, I said to her, well, if you get to heaven by being good, what was the sense of Jesus coming and dying on the cross for people's sins? Well, lead balloons don't go down quicker. The lunch was a bit frosty from then on. But you see, we mustn't distort the word of God. We mustn't let people get away with their thinking rather than what God says to us is the way to heaven. Paul Neat tells us that we need to set forth the truth. He says in that second verse, on the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly. Now, of course, we know the truth. The Bible sets it out for us clearly. But it varies... How we tell people varies according to the people that we are talking to. Now, if you were born after 1980, you can go to sleep for a few minutes. Because I want to talk to those people who were born before 1980. And they will know what I'm talking about. The way in which we used to tell people about Jesus was to use a tract. It might have been two ways to live, four spiritual laws, the bridge to life. Now, what was in those tracts? There were statements, objective, objective statements. There is a God. God made people. People rebelled against God. God wanted to save them. He sent Jesus to die on the cross. Jesus died, rose again. You need to believe in him and then you will go to heaven. Pure, straight out objective facts. And people could respond one way or another. Yes, I'll become a Christian. Or, no, that might be true, but it's not for me. Now, if you're born after 1980, wake up. <laughs> because there's a different way, isn't there? Postmodernists are not so interested in the pure, straight-out fact They are more interested from what I read and what I'm told and what I see in my children is here is an experience. Does this experience work for me? Can I integrate into my life this truth, and will it work? Now, I am generalising, 
and I'm cutting it all short or we will be here for so long we'll miss the start of the state of origin. (laughs) But think about it. What I'm trying to illustrate here is that there are different ways to tell people the truth about Jesus. And you see, Jesus actually does that himself. He takes a different approach to different people in the Bible. In regards to the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, he talks about her life and what it was like and how sad it was. Seven husbands, what a terrible thing, for whatever reason. He talks about what true worship is. And she was looking forward to the coming of the Messiah and he stands in front of her. And so he draws her to himself in a different way to the way in which he draws Zacchaeus, a hated tax collector. And he also presents the gospel in a way to one man who rejects it. The rich young man comes to Jesus and asks how might he inherit eternal life. And Jesus says to this man, you need to sell all you've got and give it away and come follow me. And the man more interested in the wealth of this world rather than eternal life turns away from Jesus. And so, the truth of the matter is that we need to genuinely tell people the truth. How we package it differs according to the person that we're talking to and where they're at. There's another thing that gives us a clue about it too. For in verse 5... We are told this, for what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. Now, how would you package Jesus, the phrase Jesus Christ is Lord? Most people wouldn't have a clue. I do a lot of work with, with sports people. And so when I talk about the Lordship of Christ, I don't use that jargon, I say, You've got to say to God that you've done wrong. Believe Jesus died on the cross for you, for, the, for, for what you've done wrong. Ask him for forgiveness and then live with him as your captain coach. They understand that perfectly. And so, in your ministry, we have a genuine message. It's a matter of finding out how to actually say it to people. It's important that we answer their questions. On a billboard some years ago was a slogan, Jesus is the answer, and some wag painted on it, but what is the question? And it was a good good retort. We, if we follow Jesus, are often telling people, 
But what are we telling them? Is it relevant to their lives? So we need to have a fair dinkum gospel. But secondly, we need to go about it as fair dinkum people. Paul says this in the second verse. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience. What does that mean? To commend ourselves to everyone's conscience. I think there are two things in it. First, it, it could be summed up in this way. Someone might, you might talk to someone and they might say this, I don't believe what you believe, but I believe that you are genuine in what you believe. It works for you and you live it out. And I can see that you are genuinely concerned for me. That, I think, is one aspect of it. And people are more inclined to listen if they feel that you have their best interests at heart. And the other thing is, it says we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience. I wonder if you've ever thought of the fact that if you talk to someone about religion or Christianity or however you want to actually phrase it or Jesus, that having done so, they are never the same again. Sometime, somewhere, what you have said to them will strike a chord. Now they may choose to ignore it or they may choose to accept it but we have told them a genuine message in a genuine way and it affects their lives. And the last thing that I want to draw out for you as words of encouragement is in the last little bit of that verse. It says this, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. What we do in caring serving and ministering to people is done in the sight of God. Every youth group meeting, every Bible study, every ESL class, every cup of tea that you might have with someone where you talk about Christian things might have an eternal effect. Every behind-the-scenes ministry, and most ministry is behind the scenes, and even upfront ministries take a long lot of work behind the scenes. The musos come and they play, and they might play for 15 minutes in the service, but how many hours have they practised beforehand? Every prayer that we say, every prayer meeting that we're involved in, and you never know how God uses it. Let me give you this illustration. A lady once came to me after I talked about ministry in the church, something similar to this, and she said to me, this was a morning tea after church, and she said to me, David, I can't do anything. And I, she'd just given me a cup of tea, and I looked at her, and I said, see that man over there? 
She said, yes. I said, he's a Christian because of you. And she looked at me very puzzled. I had known this man for a number of years, away from the church scene, and he never came. And he started to come to church. But what would happen is, he wouldn't come to morning tea, church would be over, and he'd whiz off straight away. He'd come in just as the service started, and by the time I'd got to the back door, he'd shot through. Well, one day, someone got hold of him and invited him to morning tea. And this lady gave him a cup of tea, and I was talking to him at the time, so he couldn't get away from me. (laughs) And I told him about Jesus. And he came to a faith in Jesus. Now, how did he come to a faith in Jesus? It's because I had the great privilege of sharing the truths of the gospel with him. But I wouldn't have got the chance if that lady hadn't have given him a cup of tea. So you never know what little ministry you might do that might have an eternal consequence. Never brush aside what you do. It's done in the sight of God. And God often honours that. Ministry can be difficult. Verses 3 and 4 say this, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Well, you know why your family and friends don't believe. I'm not going to go into that at the present time. But be encouraged by verse 6. What does it say to us? It says this, God made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. In other words, we need to remember that once upon a time we may not have believed but somebody told us about Jesus and God's Holy Spirit took it and we have come to a saving faith and trust in him. In other words, we have seen the glory of God. Now, if he has done that to you, can he not do that to other people? When you're down in the dumps, when you don't think that you're getting anywhere in witnessing, when you think, oh, here I go, it's Sunday again, i just got to go through the motions yet again, or it's Tuesday night Bible study, oh, I'd rather sit by the fire. Bear these things in mind. Use these things as a benchmark, these questions. Ask yourself, Am I telling people the genuine truth? Am I being genuine? Can people see that I am fair dinkum about what I believe? It's a privilege for us to minister. Do not lose heart. As Paul concludes... At the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, your labour 
is not in vain. I'll pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Ministry is not easy, for it is a spiritual battle that we are involved in. I pray, Father, that you might bring encouragement to people this evening and comfort where they need it. And we ask, Heavenly Father, that you might richly bless everyone's ministry. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. St. Matt's West Penn Hills 6pm congregation is a collection of people who want to be changed by Jesus, to have a deeper connection with God, deeper community with one another, and deeper concern for our world. We'd love you to join us on a Sunday soon. For all the details, check out our website at stmats.org.au and be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a sermon.